Welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. Today we have Jordan Christensen of The Draw, and today we're going to talk about Utah. We've got a deadline on March the 5th. Jordan, it was great to see you at the Western Hunting uh, and Conservation Expo up in Salt Lake City. Great to see how active the booth was, and you constantly had people. Every time I went by there, you had people you were talking to and new members signing up, and I just want to congratulate you on the success of the draw, and, and uh, it's obvious that uh, people are taking notice, and it was great to see your booth always full of people. I, I appreciate that very much, Jay. It's, uh, it's rather humbling. You know, you, you have an idea, and you put a name to it, and then you start pushing, and uh, I, I, it's embarrassing how much I look forward to getting up to that Utah show every year. Like, I... I love it very much and it was uh, again humbling to have so much uh you know traction there and get the chance to shake hands with so many people and and yeah and inevitably sign up a lot of guys we did a few seminars that i thought uh you know were again i, I wish my vocabulary was bigger it was it was awfully humbling to have that many guys show up in a room uh note you know taking notes and and it was neat. It was. It's always such a good experience up there. This one was pretty extra special from years past, for sure. That's awesome. Jordan, um, before we get into talking about Utah, we're going to kind of go through the ins and outs of Utah and the draw, but um, your background, you're no stranger to the application game. Talk a little bit about your background and the strength, uh, your strengths um, as you see them. Sure. You know, so... Um, I think even starting sooner than later, my dad, Jay, was quite visionary um, at, at quite a young age, not only in Utah where I grew up, um, but starting to branch out. Um, you know, he started me down a path with lots of different points in lots of places. And, you know, at 37 years old, I hit 20 points in, in a few different places, including Utah uh, this last year. And uh, I don't know why that's kind of a rite of passage, but I, I felt like it was. You know, I, I feel like I can relate to some of these guys who've been in the game a long time, and yet I also feel like uh, being that I am a younger generation by a little bit than some of the other guys out there, inherently I've always been behind lots of point curves. And because of that, I feel like how I go about creating opportunities with applications uh, so that I'm not buying landowner permits and I'm not buying vouchers and things like that. Um, I've had to be a little bit outside of that normal, just get started, apply until you draw type mentality. Like I'm always looking for the wrinkle and it's because I just, again, that myself and many others, I wasn't old enough to be in a max point situation and in, in really anywhere. The, the point systems existed before I could get in the game and, and or if maybe there's one or two out there that weren't quite that same scenario, but, you know, my dad didn't jump on it like he did some of the other places. So um, been in it a long time. And then uh, back in 2014, started uh, at Cabela's Tag, got asked to come and join that team up there. Um, and, you know, you don't know what you don't know, I guess, is maybe the best way to put it, but 
uh, again, insanely humbling experience. It was like walking into a room full of giants and, and then the volume that we were required to be doing at that Cabela's Tags was so much more than you could have ever imagined, I guess, getting something started from nothing um, and you just get baptized by fire. And I think like anything, repetition is the key to, to being good at something. And I got such an amazing opportunity. And, and the truth is, Jay, I, I don't necessarily think that I'm anything, uh, well, without question, I'm nothing special. I don't know why I got the opportunity to go up to Cabela's compared to so many guys that I know that are good friends with in the industry and out. But if you give most guys the chance that I did, to sit there and become a student of this now for the past, you know, five and six years, let alone coming up and growing up in point systems, I think that they would, you know, anybody spends 10, 12 hours a day being a student of anything, you're going to learn a ton about it, and and that's what I am. I'm, I'm, I'm constantly a student of it, and, you know, nowadays, you know, resources that exist like GoHunt.com, you know, anybody can become a student of it and have so much at your fingertips to learn. It's just that I don't have distractions. This is it for me. This is all I do. It's all I've done now for quite a long time, and, and I'm quite, you know, quite humbled by the opportunity for sure. So the draw is a company that you started uh, with your partners, uh, and you guys do applications for hunters across the western U.S., that's a, that's a 30,000 foot. Um, but why don't you tell the listeners, and then we'll dive into Utah, what you guys do on a day-to-day -day basis at the draw. Sure. So, I mean, at the, at the, you know, at the ground level of it, we're an application service, Jay. We, uh, we, we find that, uh, like we said, there's so much resources out there, and they're available uh, for guys that are looking for it that truly our business is a customer service oriented business. If you can't keep up with the deadlines, you don't want to keep up with the deadlines, you don't want to keep up with the research um, part of it, um, we become a good fit. Uh, we, we feel like uh, we can navigate really anyone's goals. If they want to go elk hunting every year for the next 10 years, they want to go deer hunting every year for the next 10 years, and they want to do that with applications, then we can help them build what we call a hunt plan so that we take out that randomness as much as possible uh, so that we're not simply grabbing a handful of darts and throwing it at the wall. We have finish lines that we're building up to quickly so that we're hunting as often as we want. And then, you know, hunting is such a progressive sport we're always trying to kind of look through a crystal ball with a hunter knowing that if you kill, you know, half a dozen 280 to 300-inch bulls over the next, you know, six or eight years, eventually what you're excited about and what your goal is, even if it's just in that one genre, is inherently going to be different than what it is currently, and we build plans around that and for each species and then, and, and execute them so that we are hunting as often as we want with these draw opportunities and, and 
we are the only company in the country, Jay, that offers what we call a floated and a non-floated service. So depending on the customer and what they would prefer, essentially the floated becomes uh, the states like Wyoming and New Mexico and some of the stuff in Idaho where they require all that money up front just to get your name in the hat. Our floated service for a fraction of the cost uh, takes a lot of uh, tying up all that money for extended periods of time, and we do a Kids Apply Free program. So if you're working with us, whether it's the floated or the non-floated version and you want to get your, your youth hunter rolling as you should, we don't charge a dime for it, um, whether they are floated or not. So um, that's, that's the core of it. Once a guy draws a tag, we're as involved as they would like us to be in helping them secure an outfit, or we work with some of the very best in the country. I'm always humbled by uh, our, you know, the willingness that, that so many of these guys have to take our hunters uh, no matter where it's at. And uh, sometimes you don't draw, and we have lots of stuff like that, whether it's international or, or domestic. Um, again, we're as involved as guys want us to be with helping with outfitters. And I would also even call out the DIY guys, right? If you draw a tag, you know, we've got so many networks and resources. I'm not saying we're going to be able to put an X on a map and say this is it, but pretty often we're able to at least narrow down, you know, a, a bigger unit to help guys at least get pointed in the right direction and, and see if we can't help as much as we can once the tag is drawn, no matter which direction they'd like to go. Awesome, man. Um, let's dive into Utah. Looks like we've got a March 5th deadline. Um, why don't you give an overview for those people out there that maybe are new to Utah, maybe haven't applied, and then as well talk to um, how the structure works for those that have been applying but you know, might need to be, the edges need to be filled in a little bit. Sure, sure. So, I, I, I honestly, I, I think I have kind of a, a very different take on Utah, to be honest with you, Jay, than, than some. And, and the part of that is just, uh, again, I'm kind of a product of that system. Um, so uh, at a 10,000-foot view, Utah is another state that is a bonus point state and what I would call a modified bonus point system. And so bonus point means raffle tickets to me right? Um, it, and then the modified portion of that means that there is a potential finish line. There is a max point pool, and 50% of the tags are set aside for a max point drawing, and then 50% are set aside for a random drawing. Starting last year, they kind of adjusted how their 50% rule was. So now, it, say there is five total non-resident tags three of those go into the max point pool versus uh, prior to 2019. It would have gone the other way. But, you know, so at face value, all that sounds great for a, for a draw system. 50% of the tags, whoever has been applying the longest, 50% in a random drawing. The problem for, for non-residents is just really boils down to the fact that overall there's very few permits. So, it's not very often that we see even five in any one given hunt code. And if we do, we would probably want to take a, a harder look at that, comparing it to so much of what else is going on in the state, because often it's one or two permits for non-residents. 
um, especially in some of the more elite opportunities. Uh, meanwhile, the once-in-a-lifetime stuff, not always, but almost always, is going to be only one permit. So if there is only one, um, that is one nice thing, is it does for sure go into the random drawing. So where I say that I differ a little bit on how other guys look at it, Jay, is that point system is so mature that inherently it, it really is a raffle ticket. The idea that someone is going to get started today in Utah and they're going to pay their $10 per year for most species, particularly the once in a lifetime or the, you know, the hunts that are, are the highest, you know, the, the highly coveted ones and eventually get to a max point situation, even if it's a youth hunter, you know, the math says they're not going to. They're never going to get to the finish line. Now, there's some wrinkles in that, particularly, you know, a couple of antelope type of hunts and a couple of late uh, rifle elk hunts and, and some, of, some odds and ends of deer. But, but overall, as a general rule, we're never going to get to a max point. So if we're not going to get to a max point, why would we ever start there? And, and my opinion is, is, that, is that knowing that you have a chance, particularly with the once-in-a-lifetime or the elite stuff, and because you always have a chance. There's never a time where you're going to have a 0% chance of drawing. $65, if we do it correctly, every other year for a hunting license and a $10 raffle ticket to get in and essentially the $10 is buying us another raffle ticket the year following and so on and so forth. If I can put it in that kind of terms, I have a lot easier time justifying the expense of it. If I'm looking at it for a finish line and when can I go, the only real solution to that in Utah is their general deer permits, which is not a bonus point system. It's a preference point system, but it makes it a lot easier to invest in that state if I know that, I mean, I, I put in for, we, we've talked before, like, you know me, like, I'm crazy aggressive, particularly when it comes to sheep, so I put in for what's typically considered the lesser of all of the non-resident choices uh, in Utah for, for a desert bighorn, and with 20 points, I'm still at about a 0.15% chance of drawing. So if a guy just getting started is at a less than 0.01% chance of drawing and I'm at a 0.15, well, to me, that's the same odds. They have right. the same chance as I do after 20 years of applying, and the, the history has shown over the last few years that typically the, the, the person who draws has less than 10 points because there's lots of them, right? There's way more guys with 10 or less points applying for this stuff than there are guys like myself with 20 and my 20 raffle tickets when you put them with everybody else's raffle tickets they sure don't have a lot of presence in that draw so for 10 bucks to not put in oh you know how can you not every chance to draw some of these elite tags is one more chance to draw them and utah is pretty affordable it's not not hard but it's not a state to look at as a finish line type of state it's that there's excellent quality, fantastic hunting, and even the worst units in the state oftentimes in the limited entry stuff, I would put head-to-head -head with so much else of what's going on in lots of places in the country, and that's why I invest in it, and that's why I would 
you know, talk to somebody else about investing in Utah, but, but not a finish line state at all. You talk about General Deer. Talk a little bit about how that program works um, and how their dedicated program works um, and, and how that may be a little bit more opportunity than chasing, you know, the Ponsagon or the Henrys or some of these limited entry deer, deer units. Absolutely. So the General Deer, honestly, for me, this could be one of the more exciting, you know, opportunities for, for mule deer right now in the country, Jay. I mean... Um, what happened is, uh, I want to, I would say it's probably been six, seven years ago now, Utah took what was for most of the, for all intents and purposes, it was almost just quadrants of the state that you were drawing, and they broke them down into what they call micro units. It was a little more than quadrants, but it was almost that. And the micro units, are essentially individual mountain ranges out all across the state of Utah, and the state finally took a step towards managing each of the different deer populations on on each of those mountain ranges versus a broad, you know, management strategy over huge areas with lots of of, of different mountains and different herds across them. Like when I was growing up in central Utah. I mean, we might hunt opening weekend on the Pavon, but then I'd get to school on Monday morning, and all my buddies would be like, oh, man, we, we slayed them up on the Monroe. There's tons of deer on the Monroe, and we'd shift over to the Monroe. And maybe I hunted there during the evenings uh, after school leading through the week, and then I would catch wind that there was a whole bunch of deer being killed over on the fish lake, and I could shift over there. And so in a in a nine-day hunt, I could end up hunting what nowadays is three different units. And I think the idea that Utah is secluding their hunters uh, and saying, okay, this is where your hunt is going to be um, is definitely saving some deer. And whether they meant for that to happen or not, it sure feels like from, from the outside looking in that we've had a couple of shining stars start you know, blossoming across the state, and they weren't, they're not managing for that necessarily, but just the fact that you're not having hunters shifting and moving all over the whole map, um, I think is starting to save some of the deer, and you're starting to see some fantastic age class. Uh, you know, it's still probably less than 10% of the hunters are killing that four- and five-year-old deer, but when I was growing up, it was even less likely even though you could hunt all of these different places, it was less likely to run into a deer of that age class. And now so many units are producing some of those types of bucks. And, and you know, you have to be a little cognizant because the state, again, isn't managing for that. So even when you've got something that really looks like it's taking off any given year, they could issue more opportunity tag, you know, more tags and, and more opportunity and then that age class could get whittled back down. But there's a lot more management happening per unit and per mountain in Utah than there ever has been, and it sure feels like it's having a positive effect. And then because of that, it's segregating the hunters uh, much more than they used to be, and so you can draw 80% of these general tags with, you know, one point. For archery, half of them with muzzleloader with one point. You know, I think some of the hardest stuff to draw in the general 
is there's one or two units that take about five or six points with the rifle to, to draw. And so really short finish line and being a preference point state, a finish line that you can project and you can plan on. And so whether the goal is to go hunting deer as often as you can and or maybe you're a guy that has a whole bunch of elk points in one place or the other, what an awesome opportunity to get to go get familiar with a unit prior to burning some obscene number of points on an elk hunt, you know, a year or two before, like, and have a reason to be there with a tag in your pocket. I, I use those general deer points with lots of my guys at, at, specifically for that. They may not inherently be super excited about hunting two and three and four year old deer, but if they know they're going to use their out points on one tag or the other, what a great opportunity with very little investment to have a reason to be there a year or two prior to using those out points and get really dialed in before, you know, that it's just rare to get those opportunities to have a history in a place before we're, we're about to, to use a lot of points that we're never going to get back. So, you, you also asked about the dedicated hunter, Jay. Sorry, I kind of went off on, on the general stuff. So the dedicated hunters, you know, it's not for everybody. But if you want to hunt more, you want to, you know, get super familiar with an area, that, that program for residents, in my opinion, is a no-brainer. And for some non-residents, again, looking for lots of opportunity to be able to enroll in that program. And essentially, you know, what that means is, you, you once you draw into the dedicated hunter program, you're guaranteed three deer tags for three years, and you're allowed to hunt the archery, the muzzleloader, and the rifle hunt during those seasons. You're only allowed to harvest two right deer in a three-year period, but you, but you guarantee yourself the opportunity to go often and get really familiar with, a, with a, an area and, and have the best chance of being there when the conditions are right and, and, and capitalize on it. So, Jordan, there's general deer hunt, and then there's a dedicated deer, program, de dedicated deer hunt program. Explain the dedicated deer hunt program. So, you know, that's, it's a really unique uh, program that Utah designed a long, long time ago, um, and I, I really love it, Jay. I think it's, uh, it's quite an interesting concept between – multiple, you know, additional hunting opportunities, let alone, you know, on the back end, what these hunters, you know, are truly doing for the wildlife. And so what that program is, is you can apply uh, to, to draw what's called a dedicated hunter um, permit. And what, by drawing that, what happens, Jay, is that you are guaranteed that you're going to have a deer tag for the next three years. Um, and, you're only allowed to harvest two deer in a three-year period, but in exchange for only uh, being capable of harvesting two deer in a three-year period is you're guaranteed that you're going to get to go hunting, and you're also um, you're going to get to hunt the archery, the muzzleloader, and the, the legal, any legal weapon rifle hunt during each calendar year. So if you're a guy that has plenty of time and wants to get out more, you like hunting with multiple weapons, and particularly you're looking to, to hunt, you know, and find some of the highest age class and whatnot, 
you're giving yourself so much opportunity to be there when the stars align. You're going to be there when the conditions are right for one weapon or the other, and you're getting very familiar with a unit in the process of all of that. You know, in, and so in exchange, not only are, you, are the fees more uh, to draw that because you've got three years of permits and all of that uh, tied up into there, but these hunters are uh, required to pass a wildlife conservation ethics course. They're required to have 32 hours of some sort of service that they, that they give back to the Division of Wildlife for different projects um, over that three-year period. So they're getting to hunt a lot more. They're giving back more. They're giving more money. There's all these different things that are happening. But if you're interested in truly hunting as much as possible and getting very familiar with the unit, like this dedicated hunter program is unlike anything else I've ever seen uh, a state do. And it's truly set aside for the guys who aren't there just to harvest the deer, but are, are interested in putting all the time and effort it takes in a place to maybe find that, you know, diamond in the rough, so to speak, in any one of these different units. So great program. I'm a huge fan of it. And if you hunt a lot and you're looking to hunt more, it's definitely an option to consider. And with the dedicated, you can hunt archery, muzzleloader, rifle. Like there's different options where throughout the season you can only harvest two deer in three years, but you are not limited to a certain weapon choice, right? Yeah, correct. Yep, you can you can hunt all three of the all three of the different weapon categories throughout the year, um, each each calendar year. Um, so if you don't find, you know, I know lots of guys that they go hit it hard and they've got a buck in mind, you know, or a type of buck in mind that they want to hunt. And if they make it through year one without harvesting a deer, um, then they know for certain that they still have two more years of hunting in that unit with a guaranteed tag. And whether they ever kill a deer in three years or they kill one, you know, just the two out of three, you know, the other nice thing about that is, you know, we, we constantly talk about how many tags are being issued in each of these different states and, and units and that we wish that, it you know, that there wasn't as many animals being taken and harvested off of them. Well, this program is specifically designed to create more opportunity, yet inherently there is deer being saved um, because you're only allowed to kill two out of three. So the state is getting all of what they need, you know, all the, the funding and all of that. They're getting man hours to perform projects. They're, they're getting a lot in exchange, and more often than not, a deer is saved in the process of it, or, or potentially saved, I guess I should say. What are a handful of units that are, you know, really come on for pretty quality deer, um, you know, over the last handful of years? there in Utah in these general seasons? You know, I think that, the, that for me, the, the, the two that are real standout, um, maybe even three, are going to be kind of in that southwest corner of the state, Jay. The Pine Valley, you know, uh, is definitely one of them. The Zion is also uh, a pretty exciting unit. The Zion has a considerable amount of private land in there, so you know, probably best to have a, a plan in place prior to applying for that. But there's been some fantastic deer. But then really, 
you know, even the beaver, you know, the beaver has some such an intense elevation change. It's a, it's a rather dramatic mountain range, considering that most everything in southern Utah is very plateau-oriented type hunting. The beaver is not, right? Those, the, the Kimberleys and the Tushers up there are just these, you know, they remind me a lot more of hunting like a western Wyoming. I mean, you've got tons of country above timberline. You've got a huge transition zone in the middle of the mountain that, you know, a lot tougher to glass, a, little, a lot harder to hunt. And then you've got the lower elevation stuff that if you get the right conditions and those deer push into those areas, um, it hunts a lot the same. And, and because of how rugged it is, you know, you're still seeing some pretty fantastic deer coming out of there. But really, you know, anywhere. There, there's been some giant bucks killed on the Fillmore. There's been some incredible bucks killed on the Monroe. Um, you know, for an overall lack of deer density on the Thousand Lakes, that used to be a limited entry unit in Utah. Um, I don't think it's what it was, you know, right when they switched that from a limited entry to a, a general tag. But there is definitely still some age class there. The boulder is such a massive unit with everything from, you know, red rock to, to high plateaus. And, uh, you know, it, there's no way for there not to be age class existing in, in nooks and crannies of, of really a lot of these units when inherently you're not having the locals bounce from one unit to the other during the course of the hunt. You know, so you've got the major population in Utah drawing one or the other. They're probably planning it no, no different than most of us would plan a lot of out-of-state hunts. They come down, they hunt for five or six days, and then they go home, and that was that. But really, those locals that were bouncing from unit to unit, you know, oddly enough, I think that that is having a positive effect on those age classes that, that they can't move like they used to from one place to the other and those little nooks and crannies are allowing some of those bucks to get a little older and and get some age class on them so i I wouldn't rule out any of them to be honest with you for producing that five and six year old deer nowadays and when i was growing up that was definitely not the case but you know shining stars i would definitely say zion pine valley beaver um are probably the three that I would be looking at the closest. And when you look at uh, limited entry uh, deer, you obviously have the two shining stars of the Henrys and the Pontagot. It sounds like everyone's saying that the Pontagot has actually been outperforming the Henrys um, and has probably maybe retaken the top spot where, you know, the Pontagot used to hold that for a long time. Talk a little bit about those two uh, limited entry units. Obviously, those are the cream, you know, the cream of the crop, and 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 the best that Utah has to offer. But um, talk about them. Yeah, I think that uh, you know it's um, definitely kind of an apples to oranges situation, and it's quite it's it's really fun that you can actually uh, with the two different deer applications, the general season deer, and then the limited entry deer. Jay, is that you, Utah created a system with their deer that you can always swing for the fence on some elite permit and, and have a chance in the, you know, the sequence of the drawing. They're going to look at those limited entry deer actually as the very first one that is drawn. And so, <coughs> 
you've got a chance to draw the Henrys or the Pontagon. Meanwhile, you've got, you know, a backup plan to still go hunting for deer in Utah and all the general. So when I say apples to oranges, I mean, really, like many states, Jay, you know, the highest densities of animals are often managed for an opportunity to go hunting versus an age class. And so we look at the Pontagon and the Henrys, and history says that these were actually two of the very worst deer populations in Utah. Each of them are one of the very few places in the last 40 years that the population was so bad that Utah decided to close them down for about five-year periods. And the, and, and the Pontagon was, you know, further back in the early 80s when that happened. And then the Henry's was... Uh, I'm going to embarrass myself. I can't remember the exact dates, but much later, right? I believe in the 90s is when, when they shut the Henry's down. Well, what they've done, you know, moving forward is they, they allowed the few deer that were there to get the age class that's exciting for certain segments of hunters in the, in the country. And, and then once they reopened them, they've continued to manage for that. I think as far as overall deer populations, the Pontagon while it might be one of the weaker deer populations in the state, um, it, there's a whole lot more deer there than there is on the Henry still to this day. And I think that that's probably why where for so long the Henry's was, was the absolute front runner. Um, as time has wore on, you can only kill so many giant deer off of a place before it starts to finally having some sort of effect. Not to say that, I mean, the Henry's, I mean, you put that up against 95% of other deer units and hunts in the country, it's still way up there. It's still a top 5%, probably a top 2% deer hunt and chance at that, you know, 190 plus kind of deer. Meanwhile, we're not seeing near as many of those kind of bucks and definitely not near as many or a high as, a high as percentage of the 200 plus inch deer coming off of there in recent years as we are now down on the Pontagon. Now, mind you, there's more tags on the Pontagon, and there's more deer, and it just makes sense that eventually, you know, that jump rope has swung enough times that the, the Pontagon with some, you know, and I think it's not even just a management strategy. I think all of the work that those locals and the division has done um, combating what was probably the more lethal uh, thing happening on the Pontagon, which was, was vehicle collisions, with deer as they were moving out of the Pontagon and moving down into Arizona for the winter range. I mean, there's just, you know, there's a perfect storm of events that has been happening the last 10 years on the Pontagon that's led up to where if you were to ask me personal opinion, I would, I would take the Pontagon tag over the Henry's probably so quick it would make your head spin right now. There, there is just some fantastic stuff happening down there. That being said, like many of our best units, there's still a whole lot of guys that are going home with 160 to 170 class deer, right? Maybe even 150 to 170 class. And I think that's one important thing to point out is even when you draw some of these, what we, you know, the stuff that's the hardest to draw, that's not, that doesn't mean that there's a giant deer around every corner. It's the same with elk. It's the same with anything. Um, it's, it's more often than not, honestly, Jay, I think that, those hunts are a little underwhelming for the guys who've been waiting so long to finally get to go as far as just 
deer density, age class. It's not what they've dreamed or been told it to be. That doesn't mean it doesn't exist. It just means you need to be really prepared. You need to, you know, like you, you stress all the time. You either need to invest in it with time or with money, one or the other, to truly take full advantage of how special those rare occasions are that we have tags like that in our pocket. For sure. Uh, Jordan, before we get into elk and some of the other animals in Utah, I want to take a quick second here and thank the sponsors of the podcast. You had mentioned GoHunt.com, the insider. You had mentioned the, the draw odds and, and the valuable um, tool that you see that as. If you guys are not a GoHunt insider member, you can go to GoHunt.com forward slash Scott. You're going to get a $50 Go Hunt Gear Shop gift card just for signing up. It's the best Western hunting resource tool out there as far as draw odds. Go check them out. I also want to thank Go Hunt, uh, my friend Cody Nelson. Uh, Twenty plus years, I was actually in Cody's wedding. We've known each other a long time. He is the optics manager over there at GoHunt.com. You've heard Cody on the podcast. Uh, Cody every day wakes up and helps people find the right optics for them. If you have any glassing questions, any optics questions, if you're looking to buy any optics at all, whether it be rifle scopes, spotting scopes, binoculars, tripods, whatever it might be in regards to optics, uh, give Cody a call, 702-847-8747. That's extension 2. You can also shoot him a text on his cell phone at 602-399-3699. I really appreciate the work that Cody's done. I want to congratulate them. Uh, just in two years of business there, um, he's been in the optics business a long time, but two years at Go Hunt, they got uh, Swarovski Optic uh, Dealer of the Year, uh, and that's a huge testimony to the work that Cody does. Uh, give Cody a call. I also want to thank Kuyu, Kuyu Ultralight Hunting. Uh, that's the gear that I wear on all my hunts. You can go to Kuyu.com, that's K-U-I-U.com, uh, to find out more information. I also do a Q&A on my uh, Instagram and answer a lot of Kuyu questions. I appreciate Kuyu support. Uh, Phonescope.com, use the JScott20 promo code. You're going to get a 10% discount. And then OnXMaps.com, use the JScott20 promo code, uh, and that's going to get you a 20% discount there at OnXMaps.com. Uh, guys, um, are you still there, Jordan? Yep, I'm here. Yep. Okay. Um, I wanted to dive into elk. And, you know, Utah offers general elk seasons, um, and then they also have the limited entry elk season. And um, I get a lot of questions about that general elk uh, season, and I just wanted to get your take on it briefly, and then we w- I want to dive into the limited entry and then talk about some of the different other animals that are uh, opportunity to hunt in Utah. Sure. Perfect. You know, so the, the general elk, uh, the, the any bull units, um, you know, I, I love that it's available, Jay, but I guess it really goes against the grain for me uh, often, not, not everywhere, but often um, as far as, like we talked about a minute ago, that it's a very common practice for a state to manage the best populations that they have for an opportunity to go hunting Meanwhile, the, the weaker populations they're managing for the age class. And, and Utah 
kind of has a real twist to that whole train of thought and and where they're giving the opportunity on the highest population in the state they're doing that with spike elk and and cow hunting um and and then they're also managing those units now that used to not be the case where every unit was also a spike unit but they're but now for the most part or i think entirely the the places that they're trying to grow the biggest bulls also have opportunity hunting with the spike and the and the cows and so then some of the our our weakest uh populations in the state um they're they're just more or less throwing their hands in the air and saying well there's very few animals out there there's probably always going to be very few animals out there so we might as well let hunters that want to go and give it a whirl shoot or harvest or have a chance to harvest whatever they find when they get there whether it's a spike or or a you know a big bull and and those can be really frustrating units i think the one asterisk to my kind of train of thought there really lies within like the south slope bonanza you know anything or from anything up in that north east corner uh chalk creek camas north slope i mean there is a lot of elk in those forests right um but i also believe that part of why they're doing that is that there is a, a large amount of private land in that part of the state as well so great elk herd but access is always going to be difficult between the reservation and just the massive amount of private property that exists. There's still plenty of room to hunt, uh, especially as we get into the deeper, darker places of the Uinta Mountains and things like that. But overall, outside of that being kind of the anomaly to the rest of the state, when we look at what we can hunt for the any bowl, just be aware like we're talking extremely low density of animals in most of these units in most places so if you find a nice little pocket of elk um that you can hunt regularly and i know guys who do and they and they're very successful at it but for a, a guy just planning a trip to utah and that's kind of his starting point i mean you know at a minimum do some serious amount of research and be prepared to spend quite a bit of time in the unit to be successful because it, it, it's they're they're not managing them for really anything other than just an opportunity to go hunting um and and there's not a whole lot of exciting stuff year over year coming out of much of those any bull units then let's dive into the limited entry bull elk unit sure so limited entry is definitely kind of a, a you know a again 180 degrees back from what these any bull options are and so there is quite a number of different uh you know um limited entry units across the state from the very far northern reaches to the southern and and all scattered through there um you know highest density of highest densities of elk right now in Utah are really the two units the wasatch mountains and the central manti mountains um and and so those two places in particularly are issuing more tags jay and if a guy is looking to get started in utah and is looking for a finish line particularly on the late rifle elk hunts that happen in both the central mountain manti and the wasatch mountains are going to be the most viable options to be looking at and you know they're actually again comparing those 
while they might be kind of the lower tier and, and more available type of hunting in Utah, uh, I would put those units and those elk hunts up against, you know, 99% of what's happening in Colorado. I would put them up against a lot of what's happening in New Mexico and, and Idaho and Wyoming uh, as far as that, that although bull for bull is maybe not going to be as exciting as some places in, in Utah, you're still in Utah. They still have a great management strategy around their elk and the chance of you're hunting a unit that's still consistently producing a few of those 360-plus kind of bulls a year is, is absolutely true. Um, once we move out past that, there is a few other kind of anomalies that aren't, don't have the history of producing giant bulls, but any unit in Utah has a chance to produce a 340 to 360 class bull. Lots of them are, are killing 280 to 300 inch bulls across the state. And, you know, if you're looking for that shining star, if you're looking for the very best of what Utah has to offer, you know, for a long time, almost kind of like a Ponsagot to Henry's with the deer, you know, the San Juan and the Pavant and the Boulder, all three of those have been kind of where guys have been looking for you know, what is the most consistent for these anomaly-type bulls, that 380-plus kind of bull. And and the San Juan has kind of been the, the winner for a long time. Uh, you know, personal opinion, the boulder right now is probably the shining star. I think that the last few years, um, the age class that's been coming out of there is definitely been more consistent than what, what's happening on the San Juan. But truthfully, Jay, regardless of season dates, regardless uh, of, of in, you know, one unit to the next, any one of those still have a chance to produce something quite special. You know, the Southwest Desert, the West Desert Deep Creek, um, the, uh, the Fillmore, the Boulder, the San Juan, the LaSalle's, the Book Cliffs, all of them have uh, fantastic track records of that 340 to 360 class bull and you know outside of like one or two places on earth you know if you see a bull like that opening morning you probably better get pretty serious unless you got a stack of them in your garage so big you can't run and jump over it like that's what you're there <laughs> to hunt that's what you're there to kill so there's always anomalies but to bank on it being you in a five-day period or a six-day period is super unlikely so you got to look at the realistic track records and what that medium kind of bull is and then just you know make up your own mind when you see you know those kind of bulls whether that's what you're after or or if you if you want to wait it out for that anomaly to happen or that lightning strike to happen but if it's going to it's as likely to happen on the San Juan the Boulder the Fillmore as it is any of the other units in the state. Jordan we've got um, once in a lifetime uh, animals in Utah with the desert bighorn, the Rocky Mountain bighorn, and the goat hunts, um, and and there's some other animals to hunt. Talk briefly, uh, obviously the buffalo as well, uh, and I guess bull moose. I'm forgetting the bull moose, but um, talk about those once in a lifetime hunts uh, briefly, and then we'll conclude. and And uh, I appreciate all your time, but let's talk about these once in a lifetime hunts. 
Yep, absolutely. You know, so, um, you know, Utah, again, kind of going back to how their draw process works, Jay, is being that, that more often than not, there's only going to be one uh, non-resident permit available. You know, it's not a matter of, of applying with the idea that we're ever going to hit a finish line, especially for us non-residents. It's about the fact that for 10 bucks, we've got our name into another hat. And with one raffle ticket in the bucket, we, you know, when the when we shake down the math, we really have as much presence, or all, you know, within a fraction of the as much presence as a guy who's been at it like myself for 20 years. And so, if you're going to invest in that hunting license for $65 for an extra 10 per species to not throw your name in those hats outside of you just don't have time for it or there just truly is zero interest in hunting uh, one of those species or the other, it's too bad because uh, some of this stuff is getting so expensive for, for 10 bucks to not have your name in that hat and maybe be the lucky one um, is, is unfortunate. You know, if it's, you know, as far as just like if we're truly doing it and we know inherently that our odds are, are quite low no matter which direction we go, then, you know, when we look at the sheep, right, for for the Rockies, I think, you know, a nine-mile tag is definitely the one I'm going to key up on. If I'm chasing odds, I'm probably going to look at the Newfoundland Mountains for those California bighorns. For deserts, if I'm looking for the very best the state has to offer, then I'm going to be teed up on the Zion. It makes sense. It's, you know, it's the closest unit to some of the, the, the sheep that are in Nevada and the age class and the genetics that are coming out of there. So the Zion is definitely the, the, the top choice for, for the desert. Meanwhile, if we're chasing very minute changes in odds, but if we are chasing them, the San Rafael, the San Rafael unit is definitely the easier of all the, the, the tags to draw for the non-residents. But we're you know, making that clear, I mean, we're literally talking less than a tenth percent of a point, you know, in percentage-wise when we say we're best unit in the state versus chasing the odds. So not a much shift. Um, You know, the the Buffalo right now in Utah is pretty exciting. There's There's been, you know, the fact that they've split that now and you've got between what used to just be the Antelope Island and the Henrys and the few hunts that were there, now we have the book cliffs in the middle of it. Now they're adding archery-specific permits. I get, um, you know, there's all sorts of different twists and turns happening with the bison that is segregating those guys who have chosen to apply for for that. And the age class is fantastic. They're killing as big a bulls as they've ever killed in Utah in, in both the book, you know, really anywhere that, that, that they have a hunt. Um, it's just very tough to draw. So... If you're looking for a super low physicality hunt, um, as as low as it can be, you know it's a, it's a more expensive permit. It's about a little over a thousand dollars more. But that Antelope Island tag is, you know, it's a great way to check the box on a bison. If you're into a hardcore hunt um, and you want to go do some, you know, Wild West stuff, you know, the Henry Mountains or even the roadless book cliffs and any of the book cliffs, maybe not quite outside the road list but overall any of them are going to be a fun you know challenging hunt the moose right now you know the ogden the wasatch the south cache you know throw a dart like if you land in a moose 
tag in any one of those. I'd probably say the Wasatch is is uh, the more consistent of uh, of the of the areas, but really any of those units are going to produce a fantastic bull if you give it the amount you know the right amount of time, or you invest in an outfitter that's going to give it the right amount of time and things like that. They're all they're all really good. Um, mountain goats. Again, Utah has been kind of pushing goats into every nook and cranny they can, like they have their sheep, and they're trying to expand opportunities by introducing herds in all sorts of places. And the uh, the age class is there. You know, there's fantastic goats coming out of every unit in the state. If you're looking for a lower physicality hunt, the Willard Peak is something to consider. You're going to drive your truck up to the parking lot that's clear at the top of the mountain i think it's just over twelve thousand feet and there's an 18 inch you know mountain bike dirt bike trail that goes all the way across the rim of that that unit and you know you're you're even going to see goats right in that parking lot so low physicality look at the lower physicality as soon as you come off that trail it's still every bit as physical as any goat hunt i've ever been on but you know, between those two, the Beaver and the Willard, either one of those are uh, a potential for a uh, a Boone and Crockett type goat. And then you've got the Nebo, you've got the Uinez, you've got lots of options. So don't look at it as a finish line. Don't look at it like I'm I, I, I'm trying to build up towards something here. It's not that, unfortunately, in Utah. If you have less than 10 points, hell, if you probably have less and 15 points in that state for all of those once in a lifetimes. The idea that we're ever going to get to a finish line there is so unlikely. But for 10 bucks, throw your name in the hat. You know, guys draw. They have tags, and the the you know, it's fantastic hunting when it finally does happen. Jordan, that's an awful lot of information. I really appreciate the amount of time that you spend and the thoroughness. Uh, thoroughness that's probably not even a world but the amount of thorough um explanation that you have i want to encourage the listeners to reach out to you um but i also want to give you a chance to have a final word on talking to the people out there that are listening and uh, let them know how they can reach out to you i appreciate it jay very much um you know probably our our biggest one like so many nowadays if you happen to be on social media um, our handle on instagram is at we are the draw um, facebook you can look us up at the facebook slash the draw and um, we're on linkedin we're on uh, we're on we've, we've got a little youtube channel but primarily you know the biggest thing i'd say to your listeners if you want to keep up with what we're doing and what what's going on the social media is great but if you have a specific question you know, phone calls are free, Jay. Like, I, I think that, again, the information that so many places is providing now, um, it, it's so fantastic and it's so great. And I think guys should seriously consider that, like the research part of it, to, to jump on GoHunt.com. You, you, can't, you can't beat how deep and, and thorough the information there is on the Insider. But if you have a one-off question, you know, direct message us on, on social media or give us a call. I mean, we can we can usually dial it in super quick, you know, from uh, on-the-ground experience, let alone just, you know, going over some basic odds and, and, you know, get a clearer picture of what it is that you're 
thinking about investing in, and and uh, we like those phone calls. So anybody has a question, please give us a call, and we can get you dialed in, and, and the phone call is always free, so why not? Awesome, man. Well, I appreciate it as always. It was great seeing you at the show, and um, you guys, you know, you've, You've been creating a name in the industry, and the growth has been great, and you can just see the treatment that you give your customers, and I just commend you on that, and I look forward to having you guys on again. We're going to talk New Mexico. We're going to go in-depth with New Mexico, and I uh, just appreciate this talk about Utah, and uh, I'll, I'll be chatting at you down the road here. I can't wait. I sure appreciate it, Jake. All right, buddy. God bless. Take care. God bless.